with that question. My sermon today is the emptiness of Easter. And behind me as the curtain is rising, you get to see the emptiness of the tomb. You know, we live in a world that we're taught if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So many of us have been taken in by empty promises. Such empty promises make us weary and leery of anything or anyone. It tells us that we can have something for nothing. We know the world simply doesn't work that way. But I want you to know that God does. God never made a promise that was too good to be true. In studying this week, I read a story, and I thought this is a cool story to kind of tell you. I heard about two brothers because it reminded me of my own brothers. Two brothers who were getting ready to boil some Easter eggs to color them. One brother said to the other, I'll give you $10 if you'll let me break three of these eggs over your head. The younger one said, you promise? The older one says, yep, I promise. Gleefully, the older boy broke the first egg over his brother's head and then another. The younger brother bracing for the third and final egg. Waiting, but it didn't come. Opens his eyes and looks at his brother and says, well, why aren't you going to break the third egg? He said, ah, ah. He said, if I do that, then I owe you ten bucks. <laughs> We've all been burned by those empty promises. Life is full of empty promises just like that. Often, if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. It doesn't take long before we have been fooled enough to know that the world's promises are full of emptiness. Some people may wonder if the same is true about God and the promises that He has made. Our God is a God of promises. We live in the fact that the world around us has made many problems. But the Bible records over 7,000 promises from God that he makes to his people. The world makes and breaks promises all the time. We live among unfulfilled expectations. We make commitments and don't follow through. We make plans and promises that we never even intend to keep but not God. God is different. And on this first Easter Sunday morning that we're about to read about, instead of promises of full, they're promises full of emptiness. God gave us emptiness that is full of promise. This morning, I'd like us to think about the emptiness of Easter. And I'll make that point, I hope, throughout the message. An emptiness of Easter that reminds us 
that God has filled that emptiness with his promise. God gave us the emptiness so he could fill it full of his promises. There are at least three that I want to share with you this morning. Each promise is marked by something empty, such as an empty cross, an empty tomb, and by the way, empty grave cloth. All of these empty things remind us they're filled with a promise full of God's favor. Because death couldn't contain him, the cross couldn't hold him, the tomb couldn't keep him, and even the burial cloth couldn't hold him. You and I today can be sure of the fullness of God's promises in our life. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to follow along with me in Luke chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24, I want to read the story. In verses 1 through 12, we read the story of that first Easter morning. Everybody found it? I love to hear the pages flip. Makes me think at least you're looking. All right, now that you've found it, let's stand as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as there was much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when you were yet in Galilee? saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told those things unto the eleven and all to the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women that were with them, which told them these things unto the apostles. And the words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed him not. Then rose Peter and ran unto the sepulchre, and stooping down, he beheld the linen cloths laid by themselves, and departed wonderfully, wondering within himself at that which had come to pass. Father, as we hear the story, we've heard it so many times before, but it never grows old. It's full of hope even in the midst of all of its emptiness. Lord, I pray that you would take the words of this empty story and fill it with the hope of your glory. We pray that, Father, that you would take my words and anoint them with your words and Lord, that you would speak to me and through me. Lord, as we talk about the emptiness of Easter this morning, we pray that, Father, that you would take the emptiness that we see around us and fill it full of your promises. That we might leave this place today full of hope, full of glory, full 
of everlasting joy. Lord, we ask that you administer your grace to us and through us as we hear now the preaching of your word. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. This morning, I want to share with you three emptinesses that God reveals His fullness through. And as we begin this morning, in Luke's Gospel in chapter 24, it says, Now the first day of the week, early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. If you would, let your mind go back with me. I want us to focus on what it would have been like to be among that crowd that morning of ladies wandering through the streets, heading towards the tomb. Let your mind go back, if you can, to that very first Easter morning. In the early morning dawn hours, but before the sun had even risen, few of Jesus' followers, women, are on their way to the tomb. It is the tomb where Jesus was buried, where they had last seen him. The task before them, a sad one. They are going to anoint the body of Jesus. And as they come to the top of the rise to the path, they stop motionless and quiet, stare off into the distance. where they see a reminder of the horrific event that took place just three days prior. They look up at the cross in the middle and they see the blood stained. They remember that's where he died. But as they look at the cross, They're reminded that it's empty, that he's not on the cross. The three crosses that are there at Golgotha stand as an empty reminder of the horrificness of the crucifixion where Jesus died. Don't ever let anybody cause you to think that Jesus was just faking it. They knew... There was no question that Jesus died on that cross. The soldiers knew it. The Romans knew it. The Jews knew it. And those women knew it. You see, Jesus died that day. And that is why I want you to see the cross this morning. The place where Jesus died your sins. An empty cross this morning. Empty of Jesus' body, but full, full of God's promises. Full of hope for you and for me. You see, the Bible tells us the promise of an empty cross is that you and I are now forgiven. The blood that is shed Calvary's cross was for your sin 
and for mine. Across the ledger of time, God has written over your name and mine, forgiven, cleansed by the blood, sin removed by the power of the cross. It was on that cross that Jesus offered his perfect sinless life on your behalf, on the behalf of each of us that are here this morning. No one else could do it. Not Moses, not Abraham, not David, not Isaiah, not Muhammad, not Buddha. No one else has ever lived perfectly. No one else had a perfect life that they could offer for the perfect salvation that we needed. That is why the Bible tells us that there is no other name given under heaven by which we can be saved. When Jesus Christ breathed his last, he cried out, It is finished. The penalty was paid. On that cross, that empty cross, it was there that his blood was spilt for your salvation and mine. But before that fateful day. God would open the books and he would look at each of our names written in black where their words were guilty of sin. But when Jesus went to the cross, God literally transformed our, transferred our account to his name. And on that day, crossed every name of every person that had placed their faith in Christ, he wrote in Jesus' blood, Forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. Because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, you and I now stand forgiven. The first emptiness of Easter is that of an empty cross. A cross where they nailed our Savior to. A cross where he died and gave his blood for us but a cross that now is empty. A cross that is without Jesus. An empty cross is now filled with the promise of forgiveness of sins. The second emptiness in which we find is found in verses 3 and then 5 and 7, the empty tomb. At the empty tomb, it promises us eternal life. Paul said it like this in, in 1 Corinthians. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for those of you that might find that hard to understand, let me give you this story as an illustration. A father and a son were taking a leisurely country drive one afternoon in the springtime when suddenly a bee flew in the window. Being deftly allergic to the bee sting, the boy began to panic as the bee buzzed all around inside the car. Seeing the horror on the face of his child, the father reached out and caught the bee in his hand. 
Soon he opened his hand and the bee began to buzz around again. Again, the boy began to panic. The father reached over to the son and opened up his hand, showing him the stinger still in the palm of his hand. The father said, relax, son. I took the sting out of the bee. He can hurt you no more. The fact is, the evidence of an empty tomb is the evidence that the sting of death has been taken away. We don't have to fear the death of grave, for Jesus won the victory over them both. The fact of the tomb uh, is the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and promised is to everyone that believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. To those who know Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior this morning, death has lost its sting. It is no longer something to be feared. What fear is and what fear there is when we have promised one day that we will forever live with him in heaven. Death has lost its grip on me. For in fact, the empty tomb is the truth of Jesus' resurrection. It is the reason that we celebrate Easter. It is the reason that you get up, some of you get up early this morning to come and share an early morning service with us. It is the promise to every one of us that we too shall be raised to eternal life. The empty tomb is God's way of saying, relax, my child, I took the sting of death. It can't hurt you anymore. Why was the tomb empty? Why was it the disciples couldn't find him there that morning? Why was it that Mary looked inside to see that he wasn't there? Because the angels stood there proclaiming, He is not here. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is risen. He is alive. We don't serve a dead Savior on a cross. We don't serve a dead Savior in a tomb. We serve a risen Savior who is seated at the right hand of the Father. The tomb is our evidence that Jesus rose from the grave. You see, the Bible tells us, it's a reminder, it's a promise to us that we can live even if we die. The second emptiness of Easter is the empty tomb which gives us the promise of everlasting life. The third emptiness that I want to speak of this morning is found in verse 12. If you look at what it says, Peter However, got up and he ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. You know, it wouldn't be long now that Jesus would stand before Mary Magdalene and all the other apostles, and eventually to over 500 people where he would sit down with them and walk with them and talk with them and eat with them. Once again, 
they would be able to fellowship with the Lord. You see that the, the, the promise of the empty, empty burial cloth, the very thing that they had wrapped Jesus in, now lay folded, holding not the body of Jesus, but empty. We open it up, and there's nobody there. You see, the reality of the empty grave cloth is a reminder that we serve a risen Savior. The hope that we have is that Jesus isn't some unclear force out in the universe influencing people. He's a living Savior. He is a living Lord. And His desire is to have a personal relationship with each one of us. Just as He told His disciples over 2,000 years ago. Think about that. The cross couldn't hold Him. The tomb couldn't contain Him. The burial cross became unnecessary because Jesus is alive. He has skin and bones and a face, and he was recognized. And he talked and he touched and he loved and he healed. He did it that day of his resurrection. And because he is alive today, he does it today. And most importantly, he wants to do it with you. He wants to reach down into your heart and into your life and say, I am a living God who wants a personal relationship with you. He went through all that he went through on the cross for you. He arose from the grave for you. He left his empty burial cloth for you to know that he is alive. Because he is alive, he wants you to know him personally. He wants you to talk with him. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to live for him. The third and final emptiness of heaven or of Easter this week is the empty burial cloth, which promises for all of us the ability to have a personal relationship with a living Savior. This morning, I wanted to point to the emptiness of Easter. An empty cross that once contained the love of a Savior for all the world. No greater love does any man have than that that he lay down his life for his friend. No greater love does any man have than a God who would send his son to lay down his life for a people who didn't even want him? When Jesus breathed his last, before he took his last breath, he cried out, It is finished. Not I am finished. The work of the cross is finished. My death paid your penalty for your sin.
as the soldiers took him down off that cross and they placed him in the tomb and Joseph rolled the stone and the guards made it as tight as they could. The stone could not keep him. God did not open the stone so that Jesus could get out. He opened the stone so that we could see him. He is not there. The emptiness of the tomb is a reminder that God has promised to give us everlasting life. Though you may die, yet shall you live. And then he left these behind so that we could see that which covered his dead body is no longer needed for he himself has left the grave clothes behind. You and I, when we leave this world, we leave the grave clothes behind. If you've listened to the promises of God, my question to you this morning is this. Will you take him? If so, there's one last promise that I want you to hear this morning. It's found in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 where the Apostle Paul said, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This morning... If you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, the story of the emptiness of Easter tells us why we should. He went to a cross to forgive us of our sins. He went to the grave to give us uh, eternal life. He left the grave clothes behind to show us that he is, we are serving a living Savior. If you never asked Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior, the Lord might be sitting in heaven wondering why. He might even be saying something like this, for heaven's sake, what's taking so long? Don't wait another day. Do it today. At the end of our drama, we showed the judgment scene where the books of life are open and Jesus reads through there and calls out names. Some go to heaven, some do not. It's my prayer, it's my heart that you go to heaven. So it's my desire to ask you today, will you receive the Savior who died on the cross, who went to the tomb but rose, who is now seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for us? Will you spend that time seeking the face of God? Don't wait another day. Enjoy the promise of eternal life today. As we are going to transition in just a moment to a time of communion, and every eye closed, I'm going to ask them to go ahead and put the screen back down. As I pray for you this morning,
Lord, as we come before you this morning, if there are any in the room that do not know you, we ask that, Father, that they would come to know you as Savior, as Lord. We ask that they would come to know the the precious gift of the promises that are filled in the emptiness of Easter. Lord, it's my heart's desire that if there are any empty hearts today, that you would fill them with your love, with your grace, with your mercy. That each would receive the gift of eternal life. Father, as we turn our attention towards that of sharing in a time of communion, time when we come before the Lord's table. Lord, may we reflect upon the fact that he broke his body, he shed his blood, he rose from the grave so that we could have relationship with him. Lord, continue to be with us as we go into the next phase of our time with